0: Okay, we should probably get started. Thank you for coming to this forum on walking the road. We would rather not travel, dealing with uh, loss and grief. As I mentioned in the introduction on uh, the stage a few minutes ago, uh, it's an issue that all of us will have to deal with at one time or another. And uh, given that, it's good that we know something about it in advance and can deal with some of the issues that will invariably arise. Um, just in terms of the way I kind of organize this, I've got a number of slides, 22 or so slides, 20 slides, uh, with information on them. We'll go through those, uh, go through the rather straightforward way, and then we'll allow time for comments, questions, if you have them, or things you'd like to share. I see this is a very valuable kind of thing where we can share experiences one with another. I also brought along a number of books that uh, uh, I found helpful or interesting on the topic of grieving of all sorts, uh, dealing with uh, death of loved ones, dealing with children, dealing with uh, uh, elderly and and, uh, personal experiences that people wrote about as well as more uh, technical and scientific orientations to the whole area. So please feel free afterwards to take a look at those. Um, and uh, there are also some uh, things that I had written on uh, my experiences in this area. Surely he hath uh, borne our griefs, carried our, or so, sure, surely he hath borne our sorrows, carried our griefs, or however that Isaiah passage goes. Uh, that's over there, and you're welcome to take a copy of that with you uh, if you would so choose. So let's get started. First of all, what is grief? We've all experienced it at various levels and so on, but for the most part, when we speak of grieving, we're talking about a painful type of disappointment, sorrow, heartache, uh, and anguish that accompanies loss. Um, It is very complex in the sense that it has physical, emotional, intellectual behavioral, spiritual components to it and we need really to think of grief as a process. Think of grief as a journey down a road or as my opening slide showed uh, a hiking journey where the road sometimes gets pretty rocky and rough. So think of grief not as something to get over but rather a journey from which we will be different and hopefully better people as a consequence of going through it. What purpose does grief serve? Grief allows us to express our feelings about loss. It allows us to say to ourselves and inadvertently to other people, just how we feel about this individual or about what has been lost. Grief also expresses our wish, perhaps even our protest at times, to undo the loss and to not have it be true. I can't believe this has happened. It's never happened to me before. I wish it weren't so, and so on. Grief also allows us to express our experiences associated with a loss. And so we can share experiences with one another. People in talking and interacting can express how they feel and what they have gone through with the loss that they have experienced. What kind of losses cause grief? Well, the one that invariably we think about, the primary one, of course, is the grief associated with death, death of a loved one. But also, grief is often experienced with other forms of loss, such as a decline in health, a divorce, and anything that one holds very dear to themselves. There are subtle losses, such as losing a job. People have lost a home through various reasons, and virtually grieve over the loss. Even being passed over for a promotion or having dreams that are shattered because of the loss can precipitate a sense of grief. In short, anything a person has strong ties to and those ties have been severed can trigger a grief response in people. Our focus primarily will be in response to the death of a loved one, but it doesn't have to be that. It can be any other sort of significant losses that you or friends, family members, acquaintances have experienced. One issue that makes a difference is whether the loss is sudden or anticipated. Sudden losses are unexpected and unprepared for. It's as if you're walking down the street feeling good and all of a sudden somebody hauls off, punches you in the nose, hits you in the face, somebody comes from behind you and tackles you, you kind of get the picture. No preparation, nothing you can do, it just happens. An anticipated loss where you know that something is going on, a person's health is poor, a prognosis of a medical condition is not good, you have time to anticipate the loss and you can begin to deal with the acceptance of that loss. Another aspect of sudden losses that make them particularly difficult is that there's no chance to bring everything to a close. There's no chance to say goodbye. There's no chance to say, I love you, for that last time. There's no chance to say the kinds of things that you might want to say if you had the opportunity and you knew that in a matter of days or weeks or months, this person will be passing on. Sudden um, losses tend to shatter a person's world view. I didn't think things happened like that. She was young. This child was perfectly healthy when he was born. God protects his people, doesn't he? And oftentimes a loss, a sudden loss, can shatter that worldview. Whereas when one can anticipate the loss, one can rehearse in their mind, talk with other people, get spiritual counseling or what have you as to why is this happening? Help me understand how God protects his people and at the same time allows things to happen to them. Loss of safety and loss of security. Loss of safety. I don't know how I'm going to make it financially because my husband is no longer here. I feel insecure because I know nothing. I've got to learn to drive a car. I have to learn to balance a checkbook. I have to learn to pay the bills or any number of things that may come about as a result of a loss. The loss of a spouse, for example. There's a loss of safety, there's a loss of security if it is a sudden event, if it is something that is anticipated or something where one can adjust to that and one can start learning those things that they're going to have to be doing at a later point in time. If loss is sudden and ambiguous, there's no opportunity to complete the circle and grieving is more complex. There are situations where people have disappeared. We hear about them on the radio, see them on TV, the searches that go on, and it may be a body may never be found. That creates a very complex grieving process because you really can't complete the circle and finish things off. And there's always that hope, is there not, that this person is still somehow, some way alive. You have this in war situations where bodies are not recovered. I know in Vietnam, uh, when that war was going on in particular, there were a lot of unaccounted for individuals, and it makes it extremely difficult and complex for the family to grieve over individuals that they really don't know the outcome of. What impact does grieving have on people? Well, first of all, there are physical characteristics. There are emotional characteristics. There are intellectual changes or cognitive changes that take place. There are behaviors that are different. And there are also spiritual implications to grieving. And I'd like to deal with each one of these very briefly. We'll put the most emphasis on uh, the emotional and uh, and the spiritual. The physical, first of all, reactions to grief. These deal with things like well, various bodily type functions, appetite, loss of appetite is a very common one, or anorexic kind of conditions where people simply don't feel hungry. They don't want to eat. And the problem with that is that you're probably at your weakest state emotionally and you need to get your food. Another and opposite uh, orientation is binging, where people will go do the opposite and just eat um, incessantly. Sleep disturbances are very common. People tend to oversleep or just want to sleep or stay in bed, um, not unlike what might be associated with some forms of depression, or undersleep, where a person is just staying awake. I have talked with people who for three days had not been sleeping since this person died. That's not good. It may be an honor to the person who died to see that one is making that kind of sacrifice, but it's not a healthy state of affairs. Exaggerations of various other bodily functions, blood pressure, headaches can increase, digestive and stomach problems are not uncommon. Um, I should also mention that um, with some of these physical reactions to grief, some of them can cause some permanent harm to an individual. They make worse problems that are already there. So things that may not have shown up before the grief because of the weakened physical condition, the extreme emotions and intense emotions the person is going through, they find it very difficult uh, to maintain their bodily health, and and it kind of takes its natural course. And it's not unusual for a spouse to die within six months of the passing of another, uh, of their husband or their wife. And so you'll often see that sort of thing happen. Emotional reactions to grief. Intense hurt, sadness, sorrow, anguish. um, The kinds of things that you've never experienced before, or if you have, they have not been that bad. But they can be extremely intense, and even some of the physical things that will accompany that can be rather intense, too, where the sadness and the sorrow, I mean, they get you, you know, the Bible often talks about the, the, in the bowels of our being, and it is very much that. People are very anxious and fearful at these times. Uh, what's going to happen to me? How will this turn out? Will I be able to handle this situation? So there's a lot of anxiety and fear associated. Sometimes self-blame is a part of this. If I only hadn't done fill-in-the-blank or I wish I would have, this wouldn't have happened. Uh, With children, this is a very common kind of situation where we'll talk about that a little bit more, but self-blame is one of the emotional reactions that goes along with... um, uh, Grief, guilt, feeling guilty about not having done something or having done something uh, with or to this individual, and feeling responsible in some way for their uh, their demise. Helplessness or hopelessness. It's like where do I go from here? What do I do next? And it may appear hopeless. It may seem like there's nothing now worth living for. It's extremely difficult to convince yourself that life can go on. And it's interesting to see how everybody else's life goes on and yours has fallen apart. Uh, Brother Paul explained, he used an analogy for me one time, where it's like all the neighbors are sitting down with their families to supper in the evening and your house is burning on fire. And everybody else is just calm and your house is just It's burning on fire. You are in a terrible situation. Hopelessness, helplessness. Anger at the source of grief is another emotional reaction. That drunken driver, if she had only watched what she was doing and not drank before getting in the car. Um, That individual who um, seems to be the source of the grief. The individual who was doing the, the whatever it was that may have caused this to happen. Sometimes it is even anger at God, where God is perceived to be the source of the grief. I'll talk a little bit more about that too. Cognitive reactions to grief, they kind of blend in with the emotional, but difficulty focusing for any length of time. People find it, their, their thoughts are, they can attend to some things for a brief period, but Soon their thoughts go back to uh, the grief issues. Uh, Easily distracted from various activities. Uh, I know uh, at work it can be difficult to concentrate uh, depending on what kind of work you have. Uh, You know, mine is a desk job where I had to think, decide, write, read. Well, that's so much like what you do when you're going through grief or something is on your mind. You know what it's like when you're trying to work and something is really pressing on your mind. It's a difficult thing to do. I think some jobs are probably easier to handle simply because your mind can be on what it wants to be and you can be doing something else. Uh, Difficulty in expressing themselves. People don't know what to say. They've never experienced this before. Uh, It's very hard to put in words what one is feeling. So thoughts of the loss often pervade thinking. A person may be even obsessive about those and do nothing but think of that loss. Impaired self-esteem is another uh, characteristic here where the individual just feels worthless. You know, let me find a hole and crawl into it. What's the point of going on? What difficulties am I going to have to deal with here? Uh, and I, I don't think I'm going to be able to handle them. I can't handle this. Impaired self esteem. Idealizing the past is another characteristic. May not be uh, necessarily a bad one, but it's remembering those positive things about an individual that um, um, is probably somewhat of a whitewash job, you know. I have heard people say things like. He never said an unkind word to me. And I'm just going to bite my lip because I, I couldn't say that. I couldn't say that. I can't say that now, knowing what I know and what I've been through. Uh, so we tend to idealize the past and only remember the good things or make them out to be good to help us deal with them. Not all that bad sometimes, but... Um, It is a cognitive kind of function. Some behavioral reactions. Oftentimes, anger can lead to snapping at other people. Individuals may be easily provoked. They may be more aggressive in their response uh, to people. Some people become more withdrawn and they avoid social contact. It's very painful. And and what determines whether a person would become more withdrawn or want more social contact kind of depends upon what kind of a person they were to begin with. If they love to have people around them, then having people around them at times of grief um, will be quite helpful. And the same thing for the individual who is more withdrawn or would like to avoid some social contact because it is painful. It it is interesting, particularly those who want the social contact, they often get less of it as time passes. There's a flurry of activity and concern and contact with the individual in the weeks and, if they're fortunate, maybe even in the months that pass. But six months or a year later when this individual is going through every phase of life in terms of birthdays, anniversaries, Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving, holidays, family, special occasions, rituals, uh, vacations, or what have you. Every one of those things is a new event for that person. And um, those who want that kind of interaction often find that they don't have it. Again, it's like your house is still burning, and it's pretty much down to the ground, but everybody's still eating supper next door and just enjoying themselves. and, And they may not be... Uh, stepping out and reaching out like they did uh, initially uh, when the loss was experienced. Spiritual reactions to grief. Again, is it a spiritual reaction, is it a cognitive reaction, or intellectual, emotional? It's probably all of these things combined, but one of the questions that invariably comes up uh, is that God may be questioned. Why did God let this loss happen to me? Why did I lose that job? I worked hard. I did everything I was supposed to do. I was promised a promotion. And not only did I not get the promotion, I was let go in a reduction in force. Why didn't God intervene and change the course of events? Why didn't God do a miracle? Can't He do? He still does miracles, doesn't He? Where are you when I need you, God? You seem to be so close when I'm worshiping and praising you and giving you the adoration, but you seem so far away when I really need your help. It's a paraphrase of C.S. Lewis's comments when his wife died, and that was his experience that, you know, God was readily there when we were offering the praise and worshiping him and the adoration and singing to him, but he seemed so far away seemed like he was alone during this time when he needed God the most. Does God really answer prayer? Um, I think it actually boils down to one of these two issues, and there are obviously various ways that it can be adjusted, but is our spiritual reaction to grief, to loss, is it a calm, understanding, acceptance, or is it a bitter resentment of God and others?" When it comes right down to it, how do we understand it? And I like to think that as Christians, that we have somewhat of an edge there over much of the world that doesn't deal with death and dying kinds of issues, or deal with loss. We have plenty of scripture that deals with the death of various people. We can read in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, where it talks about uh, the, the, the Adam that was created, the physical man Adam, and the new Adam, Christ Jesus, and the dying and death of the physical Adam, and the dying and death of the new Adam, but the story doesn't end there. There's a resurrection. So even from the time of our childhood, we are familiar with or we become familiar with those stories in Scripture where God has made promises to his people. Children in grief. Spend a few minutes talking about this. One of the things we need to recognize, first of all, is that children do grieve. And in a family situation where oftentimes children would be involved in the death of a loved one, say a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, or even a neighbor or someone like that, uh, it should be recognized that children can grieve. Preschool children usually see death as temporary and reversible. They see the person, like, coming back to life. The cartoon characters on TV, I mean, the roadrunner still gets up and does his thing (laughs) uh, the next cartoon. It never ends where he is finished for good. So death is usually seen as temporary and reversible. Between the ages of five and nine, children think more like adults about death. That is to say, it's permanency, that this person is not going to return. They will not be resuming their uh, usual place in the family. Uh, They will not be going back to work or whatever the situation uh, may be. Children believe that it won't happen to anybody they know. It's other people's grandparents that die, and it's other people's parents that die, and it's other people's aunts and uncles that die, not mine. So it's almost as if there's this self-protecting bubble around them that this is what happens to other people and not to me. Um, the needs of a child are often neglected as adults deal with their own grief. Imagine the situation here you know you 're a parent and you 've got children who are also grieving and you 've got to deal with your own grief. How do you you know juggle it all? Where do your needs come in in comparison to theirs? Um, or uh, a sister say of yours who and, and your mother has died and you 've got your own families and those grandchildren are grieving, and you are grieving, and your sisters or brothers are grieving, and so on, we cannot forget to deal with the children also, and to be aware that they are experiencing all of the kinds of things that we are at a different level, perhaps not with as much understanding, with as much knowledge, but by 9, 10 years old, they understand the permanency of death and that things are not going to return to uh, the way they were. Any time you have a situation where there's a long-term denial of death or the avoiding of grief, that, that can surface in problems at a later time. So you, you basically want children to experience, in a sense, what you're experiencing. They need to know that it's okay to cry. They need to know that it's okay to miss this individual. They need to know that it's okay to be angry about why this happened. Grandpa promised me he was going to buy me a bicycle. Now he can't do that. I won't get my bike. I mean, there, there can be anger and um, now, generally what happens is over a period of months, children will get over these things, deal with them. We'll get into some of that a bit later here, how to do that. Um, but anytime you've got a long-term denial or a long-term avoiding of grief, it's not a very healthy situation. And that's a theme here both for adults, for teens, and for children. Long-term grieving kinds of things um, um, are not healthy. Um, Moving on with children in grief here. Um, We want to give children permission to show emotion. I already touched upon that. It's okay to cry when you feel bad about the passing of grandma or grandpa. Um, What about attending the funeral or the service? Um, It's interesting to me, and of all the things that I've read over the years on this topic, um, the experts basically say, that you should let a child decide whether they want to go or not. And I often thought that was kind of strange. That would be like me saying, Would you like to go to the dentist? You know, would you like to go to get your shots, you know, for school or what have you? It's like there are some things in life that, that we deal with because they're a part of life and we don't leave it up to the children to decide. And I really don't have a real good rationale for that. Maybe some of you here can help me with that, but I've just not been able to put my finger on why that would be such. If we as a family do things together, good things together, why can we not also experience those things that, well, are not so nice to have to deal with? When we go to a funeral, I am very pleased to see the children there. I think it's great that they're there, that they have seen life, they're experiencing life, but they're also experiencing the other end of the continuum there, for some lesser, for some shorter, some young ones, some older ones, but they are seeing the full scope of life. It offers parents good times to respond to questions, to ask them how they feel about these things, and so on. So I don't really have a good rationale personally I think it's a good thing. Now, there may be some observances that would be scary to children and rituals that would be, well, we might even be taken aback by them by adults. I don't know. You might not want children participating in those things, but for the most part, some sort of observance, some sort of ceremony. And in most families, most of us had situations where with our children where an animal died, a pet died, and we had a ceremony, a burial ceremony. I recall one as a youngster we had, I don't know, it was a chipmunk, not a a chipmunk, gerbil, yeah, gerbil or hamster, one of those uh, things, and it died, and my sister and brother and I, probably just a few of us at that time, uh, went out and buried this thing, and we didn't know what to sing, so my sister, we sang the Star Spangled Banner. (laughs) Didn't have a good grieving song, you know, we didn't. No, the Zion's harp at six years old or whatever. But I mean, the point was there was some ritual associated with the passing of this animal and showing it due respect and, in a sense, reverence for life and the passing of life. Okay, moving on here or we won't get done. Um, Anger can be shown towards surviving family members. A child may be uh, angry, and it takes a lot of patience on the part of parents to recognize that Not only can children be angry at any number of things, uh, grieving and the loss of loved ones can make that situation worse. Behavior may be regressive. uh, And regressive behavior is behavior that goes back to an earlier point in the child's life. So uh, a child who may be four or five may start engaging in baby talk or there may be uh, they, they may wet their pants, or any number of other things as a consequence of some of the regressive behaviors that go on. Again, understanding on the part of the parent, they're not doing it purposely, um, but it may be regressive, and in some cases it could be purposeful because of uh, anger. Young children may believe that they're the cause of the event and feel angry about it. If I only hadn't said what I said to aunt so-and-so, she wouldn't have died. If I only hadn't had that argument with mommy, it, she wouldn't have died. And those things, the children will often make those, for us, irrational connections that we know are not the case. And Children need to be reassured that they were not the cause of that, and they are not to feel guilty over having had those thoughts. We've all had negative thoughts about other people, except those people who never say an unkind word uh, to others. Uh, Danger signals, again, for children, uh, inappropriate behavior for an extended period of time. Uh, Schoolwork may initially suffer, but it should come back within a matter of months. Um, chores around the house may be done not only grudgingly like usual, but even more grudgingly than usual. Or the children may want to go in their own direction and do their own thing because there's nobody to hold things together uh, in the family. And, uh, but those things should work themselves out over a period of time, a brief period of time, say three to six months, a year probably at the outside. Okay, continuing with this, a few more things. Be honest and open with children. Be gentle with them. Explain things in terms that they can understand. Go easy on the details, depending upon what the, death, the cause of death was. Give them what they can handle, just like anything else in life. They don't need uh, uh, big, deep explanations when simple things will do. In a family meeting or a powwow, give the child a chance to talk. How do you feel? It's often the adults who do all the talking. And uh, the children are just kind of there because they're kind of there for the ride, so to speak. And we need to give them a chance to talk also. Check out if guilt is present. Find out how the child feels. Um, You know, why are you... Tell me a little bit why you're feeling the way you are. Or you made a comment about such and such. I'd like to know more about that. And reassure the child that they are not uh, the cause of these events. Don't be afraid to cry in a child's presence. Let them know that this is a normal reaction and we're crying because we miss the individual. It's really that simple. What children will sometimes try to do is to protect you from that. They will not say things and they'll deal with their grief to themselves because it'll start them crying and it'll start you crying and before you know it, you've got, well, but that's okay. These are abnormal circumstances for very extreme events, and they deal with emotions that are very sometimes hard to deal with, especially maybe for boys and crying, but uh, we should encourage them to do it, and we should not shield um, them um, from our own emotions. If nothing else, just telling them that I feel terrible because of this, and I have cried about it, and so on. Be there for children. They need your affection and security now more than ever. If there was any time that they need the support of the loved ones around them, it's during those times of the loss of a loved one. Teens in grief. Understand that they will grieve too, um, just like the children and perhaps more like adults they will be experiencing much of the kinds of things that we are. Uh, Talk to them openly, more like adults, not as children. Assume that they know a lot more than it appears because they may be purposely keeping quiet and not opening up or may feel uncomfortable doing that, particularly in the uh, face of a very stoic sort of family or situation where nobody expresses any emotion ever, and we don't do it at these times either, and a a young person may feel like they should express that but hold back because the signals are very different. Meet regularly with them at this sensitive time. Keep in touch, share, ask, listen, and I can't emphasize enough this idea of listening. Listen, listen, listen. Give them answers to questions when you can, whether those might be medical or whether they may be spiritual or what have you, but also admit when you cannot. I don't know why this happened. We do not know. It's something we have to accept. We can't figure everything out and so on. And that's okay not to know those things. How are we going to get through this? What are we going to do? Who's going to take care of this? We'll work that out. What do you think how we will do that? What do you suggest? What, can, what would you like to do to help in the process? Teens may become more rebellious, withdrawn, angry. Uh, all the usual teen behavior can be exacerbated here because of the death of a loved one. And uh, again, this notion of extended grieving may indicate a need for more help. Um, and that's one that's a matter of judgment and judgment how you think the teen is dealing with it. How about helping people on their journey of grief? Well, I jotted some things down of what not to say and things that you can say instead. I will admit to you right from the start that I have said things to people that looking back on them now would probably have been better not to say, not because it was wrong necessarily but probably because it really didn't help matters any or maybe even comfort an individual I understand how you feel in most cases we do not we may have a very different situation even if we've been through something similar but I understand how you feel is probably a very weak thing to say it's probably much better just to say I'm sorry Death was a blessing, and once in a while, you know, we we have a death, and our families or in our churches of somebody who is well up in years, and they've been sick for years, and and they go on to their heavenly reward, and we're inclined to say that it's a blessing, or uh, that you know, it's about it was God's time, and we accept that much easier than somebody who might be 20 years old or 22 years old and they die. Um, But we often forget that in that elderly person's life, he or she may have been a spouse for 60 or 70 years. They may have lived together with this person. that They know their every move. They anticipate how uh, they've broken down the chores of the household and so on. Things are going to be different, even if that person is no longer in the house, bedridden, sick, and so on. Like, what do you do with all the extra time you have now? And the grieving that goes along with missing a lifelong partner. It was God's will. Well, yeah, that very well may be, but it, it might be better to say something like, how are you doing with all of this? It all happened for the best. Might be better to just say, I don't know why it happened. Because you don't, they don't, particularly if it's a sudden or unexpected kind of death. I mean, what do you say to somebody to comfort them when something is unexpected? You know, and you'll have some who will quote, you know, Romans, what is it, 828, about all things working together for good and so on. And although that may be true, it's not very comforting at, that, at the time when the person needs sympathy. You're still young, implying that you can remarry, implying that you could have another child, implying any number of things. Maybe it's just is implying life goes on. But it might be better to say, what can I do for you? How can I help you? How about if I call you next week and we can, or I will come over and do this or that. Get the rest of it on here. Yeah, you can have other children in the death of a newborn or a baby. Well, yeah, logically and objectively that may be true, but that does not help in this situation at all. This must be just very hard for you. I don't know how I would handle a situation like this myself. You know, where we try to identify with what the person is going through. Be strong, stiff upper lip, shore up your those emotions. None of this baby, mamby-pamby crying stuff. Well, I'm, that's what may be implied. But getting people to share their feelings. How do you deal with a situation like this? You know, we have the privilege in some cases of interacting with one another to find those things out. What is it like? Because someday we'll all have to deal with those kinds of close relationships dissolving. We will lose them, or they will lose us if we are fortunate. It's time to put it behind you. You've been grieving for a year. You've been grieving for six weeks. That's enough. Let's go out and have a good time. No. Grieving is an individual thing. Take all the time you need. There's no hurry. we'll, We'll work things out together. Put something behind you as if you are going to set it aside and move on and leave it back here. It doesn't stay back there. It goes with you and you learn to deal with it, and you make the adjustments, and you benefit from it. Take all the time you need. Call me if you need something. So you put the initiative in the hands of the grieving person and just give them something else to do. It's probably not the best way to handle that. Can I take the children to piano lessons for you? Can I come over and clean house for you? Can I, what can I do? And literally put yourself where you take the initiative and you do it. It may be nothing more than coming and sitting with the individual, listening to them, or being a companion, or being a friend. Uh, I think of the example in uh, the book of Job where his three friends came and brought him Sympathy and so on. And you know they sat for a week before anybody said anything? They sat for a week before anybody said anything. Simply their presence had a lot of healing power in Job because they identified him with him. They put on the sackcloth and ashes and identified with Job. How can I help? You want to help somebody. Okay, first of all, make sure you have time to listen. It's probably better in passing not to say too much and ask anything that could really lead to a discussion if you don't want a discussion or you don't have the time for it. And some of us men are not particularly good at making the time for these sorts of things. Women are probably much better at it. I mean, you can get into a conversation that you think should last 10 minutes, It could easily last an hour when a person starts talking, sharing their heart, sharing their feelings. Put yourself in their shoes before you call them. Put yourself in their shoes before you say something. What would I like somebody saying to me at this time? Or how will this be perceived if I, and so on? Ask or make open-ended questions and statements. I mean, when you say, "How are you doing at this time?" and they say, "Oh, I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm, I'm making it." Well, what, what do you mean by making it? And you know, you don't ask questions that can be answered with a yes or a no. You try to draw the person out. You try to get them to talk about it. Or if you're making statements, they're fairly open-ended. I appreciate the way you've dealt with this situation. You've given me insight into what it's like to lose a job and to deal with that situation gracefully. You didn't stomp out. You didn't yell at your manager. I've appreciated the way that you dealt with this situation. Avoid giving advice. If asked, you might reply with something like, well, what do you think you should do? or just simply say, you know, I really haven't been through this. I don't know. What do you think you should do? How should you handle those finances? What should you do to invest that money? What, you know, short on the advice and long on the listening is the better way to go. Um, let them do most of the talking. You listen actively. Active listening is where you're paying attention. You're looking at them. You're not looking at your watch working on your computer, not making eye contact. Active listening is, you know, it's got postural components, it's got eye contact, and it lets people know that you're listening to what they have to say. You want them to do most of the talking. This applies to children, to teenagers, uh, to adults. Silence is golden. You've often heard that statement. You've probably heard it more expressed around the supper table uh, than anywhere else, or children around the house when there's company or what have you. But the grieving person may have few or no words to express themselves, allow them to take their time. There's no hurry. If there is a hurry, that's your agenda, not theirs, because they're typically not. So uh, there's nothing wrong with the period of silence. And again, I use the example of Job, those that week where his friends said nothing. If you talk to break the silence, you're telling them you're uncomfortable with their normal reaction. Well, empty space is sometimes good because we process information. We give people time to think. We're not filling all the gaps just to have words spoken as if we are communicating. Communication will take place very significantly even during those silent periods. Share thoughts from your heart, not words from your mouth. You can say the right things, but they don't really mean anything. And much more appropriate, a word from the heart, thoughts from the heart, unique to that individual or that situation, will mean so much more than maybe quoting scripture that could be appropriate for anybody in any kind of lost situation. Okay, uh, moving on here. Recognize that it takes time to learn, to live with a loss, to come to the point of acceptance. Uh, that's not something that any of us can really determine how long or how short that time is going to be. Uh, grief differs for everyone, every situation, every person is unique, so what might have worked for you may not work for someone else in a different situation. Uh, There is no right way to grieve. It's interesting to read those various books and to see that things go in many different directions. And if anything, most of us need to learn from the grieving person as opposed to teaching them how to do it or how to go through it. Uh, Embracing grief is better than avoiding it. I guess I'm a little ahead of myself on the slides here. Um, Embracing grief... Welcoming may be too strong of a term, but it's like, you know, I've got to deal with it, so let me deal with it. I'm not going to avoid it. I know of a situation where a woman, when her husband died, she traveled the world for a year. A week later, when everything was done, got things in order, left home and traveled for a year. And I was in this counseling group where I had been widowed only, couldn't have been a month or two, and she finally decided it was time to deal with her grief, after a year. I was like, man, it's a good thing that she's doing it, but did she really enjoy her travels, knowing that all of this is behind her or in her mind or like a rain cloud over her head, winds are going to break. Well, fortunately, it did happen, but I mean, the point is, that embracing it is better than avoiding it because you have to deal with it at some point or another anyhow. Um, Last comment in this area. Grief comes like a wave in the ocean. Uh, Sometimes it can roll over you at unexpected times and places and become very difficult. And I've probably said this before, but uh, I was very sensitive at first when I'd be walking in the mall and I'd see a husband and wife arguing. I have a hard time dealing with that even now and talking about it, but it's like, if you only knew what things could be like and something unexpected could happen and so on and so forth, the point being that you don't know when these things are gonna happen and you can be having a perfectly good time, but something triggers your thinking And it brings back a memory and this, like a wave coming, rushing over you with the emotion and the intensity. It's not as intense as time goes on, and they become fewer and further apart. But those are things that that grief is, you're never fully over it, I guess is the way I would say it. It's this journey, it's this taking it along with you and putting it into perspective, growing and learning from it. Okay, a few more things, and then we've got to wrap things up. You don't have to face grief alone, but you do have to work through it yourself. No one can go through it for you. There isn't any magic formula. There's no counseling that will fix everything for you. Um, You have to deal with those issues. Um, You have to recognize that your activities and the people that you deal with may aid or hinder the process and um, engage in activities that would be healthful, that would allow you to deal with the situation, to face up to the issues that you have to, and uh, uh, avoid those things that would keep from the process improving. Recognize that life has to be refined, that a family role, relations to relatives, Uh, I remember the first time when I'm filling out a form and I'm almost automatically checking the married and I had to catch myself. And it's like, man, I can't fill out my income taxes without being confronted with this issue. And you had to check the widow or widower box in that situation. Uh, So life has to be redefined in family, friends, and oftentimes those things will change. Sometimes job uh, has to change in in some situations because of uh, the family and so on. Okay, a few things on um, uh, healing. Typically, and here again, this is just a general statement, Healing moves from avoidance to confrontation to accommodation. Avoidance is, I don't believe this has happened, it's not true, there must be some mistake, it's someone else's child, whatever it might be. Uh, they, they, the pink slip really wasn't meant to be given to me, and so on. Confrontation, where one actually confronts the issue within themselves and says, yes, this is true, uh, and I have to deal with it. And then, lastly, some sort of accommodation. Accommodation living with it adjusting to it deciding where to go next what to do how to proceed you can live with the loss healthily after making necessary changes you change your relationship with the loved one or the deceased individual you develop a new sense of yourself to reflect the many changes that have occurred you take on healthy ways of being in the world without your loved one you find new outlets people pursuits in which to invest your emotional energy i mean at one time you You had all of your energy invested in this person or this child. They're no longer there. Now where does that energy, that emotion uh, go? And healthy responses to healing from grief, you find other avenues in which to do that. So you'll get mothers whose children who have been killed by drunk drivers getting involved in Mad Mothers Against Drunk Driving and other things of that sort to... Perhaps it helps them make some, not necessarily sense out of it, but they're trying to do some good to help other families avoid the kinds of things that they have experienced. Help is available for yourself, for your children. Pastoral counseling in the church, that's a whole nother area. Didn't even get into that. But many of the things we talked about would be applicable there too. There are many community resources, focus groups. Um, uh, I participated in that myself. Uh, had the children participated in it also much to their not wanting to but I figured look we're going to deal with this now I don't want you to have to deal with it when other losses come later on in life and then you've got to deal with that situation Uh, funeral homes offer services often we'll have a social worker on staff who will have free um, classes I'll call it uh, of dealing with that or hospice will do are the same kind of thing. There are many books, pamphlets, magazine articles out there, uh, and some is evidenced by the things I put on the piano over there. Internet resources also. I think with all of these things, uh, one needs to stick with you know good resources. Um, some are written just uh, from people's personal experiences. Others are more technical and uh, so on. Okay, I've done all of the talking here. I'd like to open it up to uh, thoughts, comments, uh, experiences that you might want to share. Yes, Corey. I have to say the worst thing that um,
1: people would say to me was, I'm sorry. Because um, they didn't do anything. It wasn't their fault, and I'm sorry. And he's asking, is apologizing for something, and it wasn't their fault. They didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. The best thing for me was just to
0: say I'm praying for you. Okay. And knowing that somebody was going to God, and Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Praying to God and knowing that people were interceding and saying, I'm sorry, in that case, didn't help. It wasn't good. Yeah, see, so there's, um, there isn't any <laughs> right answer in this that you can even take some that would be, uh, seem to be right. Yes? That's a real good point Uh, going through something helps you understand the the problem that I have myself is that I can't and you can't go through everything that everybody's going to have to deal with that's and and so now how do we in the meantime help people or at least say nice things or encouraging things to help them on their journey and so the road that's really rough and ragged now is a little bit smoother, or they don't feel as hopeless or as helpless. Yeah, going through it uh, definitely gives you a perspective that you wouldn't otherwise have, but we will not all be able to experience you know, those things. But then that's where my experiences can help somebody who doesn't have, and your experience that I haven't had, you can help somebody else along that road too in a way that I can't. Yes? Uh,
1: one thing uh, about um, helping a person uh, what, what to do is uh, my sister-in-law who lost her son in 20 you know, in a on mobile apps, okay. and then seven years later I lost my son in adrenaline drowning and she told me she said, God, um, do not try, you know, you want to talk about it how do sometimes people like to talk about their loss? And she said, one thing, don't talk to people who will who not understand, because if they have gone through some personal tragedy mm-hmm. themselves, you just want to talk to people like that because they will understand that loss. And um, she said, other people will not want to be around you. They will not want to, they won't know how to help you they will try to avoid you. And uh, so talk to
0: those who can talk. Yeah, yeah I, think that's, I, I, I think that's good advice. There will be some people, and we can usually tell who those are, who are really interested yeah, and others who are not. And, and people who don't want to talk about those things, number one, they probably don't want to hurt your feelings, or they think they're doing you a favor by not talking about it, when in fact the opposite is the case. You need to sometimes talk. You need to sometimes talk. To get it out, yeah. And another
1: thing is, um, I know it was like uh, perhaps a week or two after uh, this happened with us that I was in church. And, um, and after the service, I did. Uh, I was getting up, and I, like you said, this wave came over me, and I just was crying so hard. And a young sister sitting by me allowed me to cry on her shoulder and with her shoulder. Mm-hmm. she didn't say anything to me. She hugged mm-hmm. me and did that. And to this day, I thank her for that. She didn't say anything but held me. Yeah. And when I got my composure and was kind of going all couch you know, another older sister who said, Dorothy, you're just going to have to get over this. Everybody goes through it. And well, everybody doesn't go through. losing.
0: No everybody doesn't that's right whatever your situation yeah whatever your situation so those two things in the short instance, <laughs> Yeah and the same the, the within minutes of one another yes. the two things happen i mean you can one be was so, compassionate. Some, so compassionate yeah and the, you're right and and that, that's a the, that's a beautiful example of just being there you don't have to understand we don't have to necessarily know and you know it, It's wonderful that God does provide people like that, and the others. We have to just understand. We have to understand them. Let it roll off, because yeah, let it roll off. They're they're rather yes. I'm sorry. This is somebody who has experienced some significant loss of some sort. They're mad at God, for example. Uh, I don't have any real answer for that other than to just be their friend and to stay with them, uh, to continue to uh, love them, to be the shoulder on which they can cry and to show that above anything else, you're still with them, believe in them, um, how about the rest of you? I, again, it's easy to give answers. Uh, what are your thoughts? Maybe you've had an experience like that.
1: Sure of God's faithfulness.
0: Okay. That God is with us, that God is still with you. I thought okay.
1: that um, when somebody tries to talk to me about God and because I hated him so much because of what he had done, or not necessarily what he had done, but um, just having the friend there, not necessarily talking about God, but that friend being part of the church, and, you know, just keeping me going. And eventually, you come back, especially if you started off with God, and you just you come back because God works through you.
0: Thank you, mm-hmm. Sonia. So then it was just able to be out there. Yes, I'm angry, I am mad at people who get with that honesty with God I, I got closer to it because of that. Yeah. I wish I had some answer to that and and uh you know quoting Bible verses in my estimation is not the way to go with it. There are other things that have to be. Uh, dealt with uh, along the line. But I would just say stick with him. Don't give up. Scott. And i was just
1: thinking that sometimes we might be inclined to believe that God isn't touched by these things because
0: of Good point.
1: The, where he is and who we are. But, you know, he lost his son too. Yeah. And I, I'm wondering, it's hard for us to imagine what God was like in that event. But, um, I think it was a significant amount of grief in that and that he, he understands just where we are because he actually has yeah.
0: suffered all sorts of things. You read that 53rd chapter of Isaiah and you realize what agony the Lord went through for us and God as the Father, what he allowed to happen to his son. And I have a, an English version of the scripture in verse 10 in Isaiah 53 where it says he crushed him it just in king james it's god allowed his son to be bruised but crushing is probably more like what really happened bruised we don't think too bad about but to be crushed to be ground flat to dust i mean god allowed that to happen to his own son and he is with those of us, and you, all of us, who are experiencing grief of some sort or another. And again, this C.S. Lewis thing about feeling so alone, I never really experienced that kind of aloneness like that. I always felt that the Lord was with me. Although interestingly, I did have a brother who actually asked me about spiritually how I was doing with this, which I very much appreciated. Because if I wasn't dealing with it well, he would have been the only one who would have tapped into it. There are spiritual dimensions to these things. Other comments? Were there anybody? Yes. Yes, Yeah, there is, there is a way, isn't there, to figure these things out. God will not leave you alone and struggle. And there are times when you can anticipate what you're going to need to do uh, as a consequence of the loss and figure out how you will handle that. Uh, our time is up, I'm sure, if it's not past. Thank you for coming. And I hope it, there were a few points that were helpful.